Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast, a part of jewishcoffeehouse.com. The show on where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. I hope you're enjoying this content. I know I am enjoying hearing from you, getting voice notes, emails, Facebook and Instagram messages, and keep them coming. If you haven't yet listened to part one of the Shaduchim series, feel free to go back and check last week's episode with Zipporah Zalmanowitz. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank my dear uncle, Rabbi Uncle Ben Sion Brody, for helping me with the questions in preparation for this panel. And one more thing before we stop, I'd like to remind you and thank you for continuously referring clients to me people, brands, businesses who need help launching podcasts, monetizing their brands, and so much more. You can also help by liking, subscribing to this podcast, and of course, telling a friend or family member about the show. Welcome to the Francisca Show. Today is a very exciting episode on Shaduchim. And as our panelists, we have invited Mindy Eisman, who is the Shadchan of Y Connect, who lives in New York, and Aliza Ben Shalom, who is a exclusively dating coach living in Israel as of 2021. Welcome to the show. This is so exciting. I can't believe I have you both on. I'd like to introduce this topic as something that's very sensitive, especially to people in our community, in the Orthodox Jewish community. I like to bring voice and conversation around topics that need the voice. And I personally did not struggle with Shaduchim. I was married at 19, and it wasn't something that concerned me on a personal level, even though I am so close with so many people that did have to spend a lot of time in this space that's so uncomfortable and so sensitive. So I'm very pleased to be doing an episode on this, and I'm really excited to have you on. And I want to add a disclaimer, something one of you have told me, actually, that All the issues that may come up in life, and some are worse or harder or more challenging than others, being in Shaduchim for a long time, or whatever the circumstances are, is probably one of the hardest, most difficult challenges Orthodox Jews go through. And the reason being is because the single feels like they are completely alone with infertility or loss or other types of challenges. And I'm sure there are so many out there and everyone 
if you're going through something that's truly painful, I validate you. I hear you. We're not comparing, but I would like to bring some seriousness to this conversation today because people love to joke about it. Sometimes singles feel very unaccepted or judged or looked down upon. I would like to elevate this conversation and reintroduce it as something very serious and respected, validated. Okay. So let's jump in here and talk about the culture. The parents usually are the ones who are marrying the kids off. However, getting married is probably the clearest, biggest transition in life that is comparable to grown-up life. So in a transition of life that is supposed to reflect being grown-up, parents play a significant role. How would you say can we give more autonomy to daters when they are still so young? And is this even something that we want? Elisa, would you like to go first? Giving more autonomy to daters is something that usually happens the older that they get and the more they have had uh, a lack of success in dating. So if somebody's starting to date eight, any age, 17, 18, 19, 20, or into the early 20s, they usually have a significant amount of support from family and they usually want and they need that support. It's not just that they have the support, but they, they really need the support. They're very young. They're not as clear about what they want and how to find it and how to present themselves. And so I think if you give autonomy at that age, I think it can be uh, a tremendous challenge. And I think that you're better off finding out more of what they want, getting to know them better, making sure it's not just what the parents want for their kids, but what the kids want for themselves, or let's call them young adults, and empowering them to have a sense or an understanding of what does and what doesn't work for them by working with them so that they understand how to go about the process. But I think if we're talking about giving over the process to them a little bit more, I would say for somebody who's born and raised in an observant community and living in an orthodox lifestyle, it's not necessarily going to be normal for them to just go out and do dating on their own. And everybody else in their circles, they're also going to look at them like, where's your parents? Why aren't they involved? What's wrong with the family? So I think it does have the potential to be something that's not necessarily accepted. Okay. Thank you. Mindy? So like in any good answer from a social worker, it all depends. If you have someone who comes from the more modern Orthodox world, so in modern Orthodoxy, kids are grown up to feel like, oh, it should be more organic, which is a challenge in and of itself in terms of shadchanim and matchmakers. However, I always like to tell kids, if you're close with your parents, then they know you better than anyone else. So they're an amazing resource and you should use them. It also helps because some people fall through the cracks. They're not sure, should I be getting married now? Should I wait till later? Some parents feel they can't get involved. When parents feel they can't get involved and they're close with their children, so very often children start to fall through the cracks and they get a little lost. So I agree with Aliza that it's so nice when parents are involved if they can be. But let's remember that in today's day and age, we have all types of families and we have a lot of kids that are not close with their parents who have problems within their families where they feel they can't or they're perhaps even some feel they're not supported by their parents in terms of their choices, 
from a religious perspective, whether they move to the left or the right. So sometimes parents are not necessarily involved. I do also agree with Aliza that as kids mature and they become in the workforce, they want to really be in charge of their own life. I always find that I have a much better chance of setting someone up, no matter what age, if I'm allowed to talk to the person who's going to be dating. Sometimes I'll get calls from moms, especially moms of boys, and I'm not even allowed to talk to this boy. I'm only hearing about this boy from this mom. So I actually look forward when he goes on a first date to at least find out from the girl, tell me about him. Like, really? Is he like what his mother says? I wish that our community would allow these young men to take a little bit more of a role and talk to the matchmaker directly before the date, after the date. But I am also, I understand that in certain cultures, it's just taboo and they just don't. I don't know necessarily that we can change it. Okay. So we'll go backwards a little bit and talk about the differences in Shaduchim within different communities and what may be more challenging specific to those communities. Mindy, would you like to jump in? YU Connects really services everyone on the Orthodox spectrum. And uh, we actually have connections if people are Jewish and not from. We do have connections with other sites as well in that regard. Within the modern Orthodox community, I would say the biggest challenge is the stigma of going to a matchmaker. I truly believe that anyone who works with a matchmaker sees better success. And the younger they go, the sooner they go, the more successful. Very often they'll start, a year or two later they'll be finished, even three years, and they'll say it was a very positive experience, that they learned a lot about themselves, and they respected the process along the way. But so many are so hesitant because they feel somehow or another they get this message subliminally that, oh, to go to a matchmaker is not the cool thing to do. Your friends should set you up. When really the friends don't really know about their hopes and dreams. They don't really know things that are important to them. They've never had conversations like that with their friends. And then sometimes also a friend sets a friend up and the the person says, all right, I want to go out with her again. And the girl says, no, I don't think so. The friend isn't going to find out why and perhaps push her. So many people, I'm sure Aliza can attest to it, say, oh, I'll go on another date if you think I have to, but I don't really think I see it. And then later on, they're happily married with kids because someone had the foresight to see there's nothing wrong here. Give it a chance. Maybe the person is a little anxious and needs to see a therapist. Right. So a matchmaker helps on so many levels. And in the modern Orthodox community, for whatever reason, instead of saying, well, if I want to exercise properly, I'm going to go to a personal trainer. I'm not just going to do it myself. So, too, if I want to date properly, I should go to a matchmaker. Thank you. Alisa. I think some of the challenges that we see are opposites, and it depends where you are on the spectrum and, and what age you're at and how long you've been in Shidduchim. So by opposites, I mean sometimes we see that there's too much involvement, whether it's from family, friends, community, or even matchmakers. And then on the other hand, sometimes we see too little involvement. 
and and I think striking the balance just right between the actual couple and the matchmaker and the parents and everybody who is or isn't involved is something that's very difficult. And especially when you start to mix and mingle couples where, you know, if you have two people that are modern Orthodox, even though they label themselves as modern Orthodox, one might be a little more to the left modern Orthodox and one might be a little bit more to the right modern Orthodox. And it still might not mean that they're dating in the same way. So for some people, they want more handholding and they want the matchmaker to be there through the process. And for other people, they're like, we could be hands off. Thanks for putting us together right now. We can text. We want to be in touch. If we're talking about a community that's further to the right, a more yeshivish community, modern Orthodox Machmir, somewhere there, they're thinking, texting, don't text me. I don't want to talk to you, right? I'm going to call the matchmaker when we're done. I'll either call her after the date or I'll call her the next morning. But I don't ask me if I want to go out with you again. Don't text me. Don't follow up. Don't, we're not there yet. In the beginning, I just want to have a third party involved. I really want to get the support that we need so that we could build a healthy relationship. And I think one of the greatest challenges is having this matchmaker and the go-between be somebody who's very knowledgeable about how to manage people and how to handle people and how to handle very different people. And each time you set somebody up, even if you set them up and you're like, oh, I know how to handle them. When you set them up with somebody new, you might have to handle the situation differently. And for this couple, you have to hold with delicate gloves and really baby and pamper them and, and help them along. And with another couple, if you get too involved, they're just going to kind of throw you out of the, the match and be like, thanks so much. We're, we've got this from here. And then you're not even going to have a chance to support them through the match. So I think some of the challenges come from how who we're setting up and how we're going about the entire process. Yeah. May I add right. to that? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I totally agree with everything Aliza said. Aliza, if you don't mind me quoting you for a second, I believe she talks about it in her book. When you're marriage minded, you should have what's called the due date. There's the dating, there's the engagement, and there's the wedding. And depending on who you are and the culture that you're coming from, your thought process for how long the dating is going is going to be different. So for instance, if you're setting up someone who is let's say, grew up in a more yeshivish community and then perhaps now is a little bit still very, very firm, but a little bit more modern. So by week six, they're like, okay, we need to get engaged. While the girl is thinking, oh no, in my mind, I'm dating for at least three months before I even think about getting engaged. So I think it's a, a very important you know, conversation to have with couples. And it's also challenging because I think that a lot of people that are in the dating world, they also feel pressure, especially in the more right-wing community. I find they feel pressure after like three or four dates. If they don't feel anything, they think it's time to let it go. When there's nothing wrong, they're just being pressured because in that world, people don't usually date for very long. So they're not necessarily really getting to know the person and there's nothing wrong but they're just being pressured. So many people are willing to say, okay, forget it. And then they feel better. So they think they're doing the right thing, but they feel better because they took this pressure away when it really could have been something. And that's a big challenge in the firm world today. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. We're going to circle back to more of this later, but I really want to address a big topic that's been present in the from circles with especially with women's pictures not being allowed in 
from media, except for when it comes to Shaduchim, of course, then a picture is not only allowed, but required. And then there's nix the pics. So I'd like to know what your opinion is on the matter and how maybe we can have a new mindset around pictures in the matchmaking process. Love to hear your thoughts. Mindy? Firstly, I have to say the women that started the concept of Nix the Picks, I, I give them such credit. They are really going above and beyond to trying to change the mindset of young men and their moms. And it is really, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. My only concern with it is when we go back to the old way, where when people say, well, in the olden days, they didn't have pictures. So one of the reasons they didn't have pictures is because I, the matchmaker, I know the boy, I know the boy's family. So when I'm setting him up with a young lady who I've met, who I've spent time with, the boy and his mother are now trusting me, right? You know what's important to us. So you're only going to send us girls that are going to fit his needs. I think what has happened and the reason why pictures have become such a big deal in general is that people are just like throwing ideas. Mothers of boys will tell you they literally have to stop their jobs because they're getting resume after resume after resume. And they don't, the, the Shadchan doesn't even know these girls. So how are they supposed to know anything about them? And the picture has been helping them to at least see, is it relevant? So if we're going to go to nix the picks, I think we also have to make sure that there's a matchmaker who really takes time to get to know the girls, to get to know the guys. I find that if a guy comes and meets with me and we talk, so then he'll trust me. So he'll say to me, listen, I'm six feet. And I know people say I shouldn't be so picky about height, but I really cannot go out with someone who's five feet. Now I'm I'm five feet, so I don't take it personally. But he said, really nothing under five, four. So he's now trusting me. He doesn't need to see her height on the resume, right? Because he's trusting me that I'm only sending him a girl who's at least five, five. So I think we have to think about that in terms of the picture. If we know that there are certain things that matter to someone, even though we might think it shouldn't matter, we have to at least respect that. Otherwise, he's going to take out his time out of yeshiva, right? Let's say night seder. And he's going to drive far. So he's investing in gas and he's planning a date. And anyone who's ever planned a date, I know I've helped my my boys plan dates. It's, it's time consuming. He wants to at least know there's a chance. So I think every Shachan has to stand behind every single chance that they send. Say, I know this girl. I think it's a great idea. And that doesn't mean it's going to work out. And it doesn't mean it's going to be the best. But at least the guy should come back and say, it didn't work out. But I know why you thought it was a good idea. Thank you. Aliza. I think this is a really heated and large topic. And I think it's very difficult for us to tackle in the modern day. And if we're talking about Nix the Picks, which I think is as we said, in the olden days, or maybe even in an ideal world, it's the way that we would want to do Shaduchim. I think it's nearly impossible to do today. And the main reason is because of social media and because of how much we are interconnected throughout the world. So 
even if, let's just say, we run with Nick's the picks, we're for it, we do it, yes, yes, yes. Somebody gets a name, you have to have no last name on there. Why? Because if they have a last name, Rabbi Google is going to be their search engine and they are going to find this person. They're going to search Google images until something pops up and until they find them. And unless you have completely removed yourself from online and social media, which some people have, the more religious you are, the more likely you are to be erased from social media and not appear anywhere. But even still, you have family and friends and you go to an event and all of a sudden they tag you and poof, you pop up. A photo of you is there and it could be from two, three, five, ten, who knows how many years ago. And all of a sudden they found you and they're like, oh, yeah, from, I'm not interested. So first of all, they're still going to look for you. They're still going to find you. If they're going to do that, you may as well put your best foot forward and show them what you want them to actually see. And I think the second big issue is that even if we get some people on board with this, which I do think that there was this movement and this initiative to nix the picks. And I think that it was something that was intended to be a wake-up call and to really jar everybody back into the reality to say, wait, how do we make a match? What's it based on? And we need to really base it on who somebody is. And the outside, of course, they have to like that. Of course, those things have to match, but that's not what we have to show up front. But unless the entire world jumps on board with this, or at least the entire Jewish Orthodox world jumps on board with this, if you don't, if I don't show a pic and you show a pic and a guy gets two resumes, which one do you think he's going to pick, right? Well, if he likes the photo, he's going to go for yours without a doubt. He'll never even look at mine. It won't even be given a chance. So we're not going to put girls on an even playing field if we're going to have some with and some without. And then we have to deal with all of the mothers. And it's a tremendous battle to say, great, well, that's it. We're getting rid of the pics. But you really asked the question and you said, women are erased from the Jewish media. They don't even show up. We don't see them. And now you want to pick? Really? That's what you're asking for? You're telling me that I have to send you a, a photo of my daughter but you won't put her on the cover of a magazine and that's acceptable. And I absolutely think that we have a problem. And I absolutely think that it should be something in mainstream media with large, loud bells ringing out. And I think it's a huge issue. I actually had a meeting in Yerushalayim this week with a woman who is working very hard to get beautiful, modest photos of women that can be used for media, for purpose, uh, purposes of being a Kiddush Hashem, and that women exist in this world, right? That this is not just a world that's a man's world, but that we exist. And not that there has to be anything provocative or problematic, God forbid, but just that we exist. And, and if you want men to not only love, but respect women, they have to know about them. And you can't know about them if we erase them from the media. And then you can't have that double standard and say, well, I won't go out with her unless I see her photo. Oh, really? You won't even look at a photo of somebody in a magazine. And for a, re for a dating resume, you have to see her photo? It's not an acceptable double standard. I happen to agree with everything Aliza said. <laughs> okay. And I have this all the time, that a guy will tell me that he... No, he doesn't want to see a picture, but then he'll ask around about the girl and then he'll call me back very sheepishly and say, I said, I want to see a picture. But when I asked someone about her, all of a sudden a picture of her popped up and it's not my look. And here we could have sent a better picture. And it, it is a very big issue. It's a very big issue. And uh, perhaps it's something that needs to be addressed before Shadokim.
the concept of women, the concept of pictures. I would love every boy to know what an Asia Skyle is supposed to look like. I would like to see Rebitson Kanievsky, all these beautiful Rebitsons, what they look like, what their inner beauty looks like. And they're not publicized. And I, I think it's a shame. And on the flip side, women, young girls, or young adults ask for the pictures of the guys as well. We live in a very visual <laughs> world today. Okay, let's talk about information, preventing information from spreading or blurring the truth. I don't know how we should phrase it here, but I know matchmakers play a role in either helping facilitate the time and space for certain information to come out because we do not have to walk around with our entire medical history printed on our foreheads. However, there's a time and space, and how do you navigate this? Alisa, would you like to go first? Usually, in terms of medical history, there's a timeline that's given for a couple to have a discussion about this. Some people will tell you it needs to be between this or this date. And they'll actually give you a number between, I'm going to make it up, the third to the fifth date, you need to say something. Really, if you ask different rabbanum, you get, you understand the concept. The concept is I need to be connected enough to you that you and I as a match are relevant, but not so close that we're engaged, right? Close enough that I know, of course, we're going out again, but not so close that if you break up with me, I'm going to be devastated. So there's a very fine line of what that timeline is. And it really depends on the couple and, and their observance level and their connection level. So for some people, by the third or fourth date, they're speaking up, they're saying something. They had an amazing first and second date. They're really connecting. They're deeply connecting. Oh my gosh, all of these things you can hear in my voice and the emotion, right? There's something happening. When you're starting to feel that something happening, that's good. We just can't cross a line where I can no longer be objective about you because I like you too much and it doesn't matter what you tell me. I'm just going to say yes. I have to still have enough free will to be able to say, okay, let me look into this. Let me see if this is something that I also can navigate in our relationship. And so for some people, I have heard third or fourth date. For other people, I've heard even as late as an eighth date. And for other couples, if they're on, on the very modern side, they're planning on dating for a couple months. It might not come until after a period of time. And you think, wow, that's so long. I, what do you mean two months? I'm going to tell you two months. Right. Well, if I'm not planning on getting engaged until six months, two months might be that breaking point. So it's very individualized, but it just can't be that the other person is already really hooked on you. Like, it's not like hook, line, and sinker. I've got you, you're mine. Oh, let me break this news to you. But at the same time, we also very much have to guard and protect the person who's giving over this medical information because I don't need everybody to know my personal story. It's only relevant to you if you are somebody who's potentially important to me in the long, in the long haul. I'd like to just clarify before Mindy speaks. I'd like to note not just medical information. Medical information was just an example, but there are pasts and there's information about the family or perhaps a divorce or an ex or having a journey, a fluid journey in orthodoxy, whatever that story may be. How do you navigate 
breaking some information, do you have to disclose some information before you set somebody up to get them? Or do you just get them to go on that first date no matter what? So I'm clarifying the question before. And Mindy, you can go ahead. If I understand you correctly, more than the medical issue, which Aliza said so beautifully, there are specific things that people have to know up front, right? If someone has been divorced or if someone has children, it you should know it. Even age. I know there are many Rabbanim who say that you don't have to, you can blur the truth, but I don't hold by that. I think that if I went out with someone and I thought they were this age, but really they were older, I I would feel like someone lied to me, you know, from the very beginning. So I think, yes, a lot of people ask a Shiloh, but they also have to put the shoe on the other foot. Well, if I were that person, how would I feel about this information? When should this be told? I don't think everyone needs to know if someone has anxiety. I don't think everyone needs to know if someone has a sibling that's divorced, right? These are things that you don't necessarily need to know right away. But if parents are divorced, that should be open. We have a lot of people today who are divorced. I don't think that that's something that should be hidden. Let's go on to the role of the matchmaker, of the coach. How much do you push the single? And there's a lot of like, I'm doing you a favor. Who's doing who a favor? And how do you know when to push or when to stop pushing? Mindy? Okay. It's a great question. And I think Aliza will agree that it's an individual basis. You have to gauge the situation. It depends on how old the person is, how many times they've been in a relationship, how they're feeling. When I coach someone, I very often say to them, how do you think, how do you think that went? How are you feeling about what I'm saying? Do you, are you feeling comfortable? Are you feeling like I'm holding your hand while we're going through this process? I might try, I'll say to them sometimes even, all right, I'm going to push a little bit now, but no, I'm not really pushing. I just want to see how does it make you feel, right? And anything that's going to make you uncomfortable, that's important for you to let me know. And You want the person who's in the relationship to take ownership of it. I can't tell someone to move forward. Only they can come to that decision. But through discussion and through talking about what matters to them, what are they seeing, how they're feeling, they're going to come to it on their own. And then we can talk about, well, look at that. This looks like it's really nice. It really is. This is so normal. And you start to get a feel for them. But once they say, I don't really like this, I'm not feeling comfortable, I don't want to do this. So then they're telling you, it doesn't sound like you're really very happy here. And then they might say, yes, I'm not really very happy here. And then you understand that, okay, this relationship isn't meant to be. I When I meet someone as a matchmaker who's divorced and they say to me, I I knew it wasn't great, but I was really pressured into moving forward. And the rabbi, the shadchan, the parent said, it's going to be okay, but it wasn't. So I, I take a lot of responsibility for that on the other side, when the matchmaker or the coach, I don't want anyone to ever come back and say, you pressured me. You pushed me to do something. Aliza. In terms of pushing or 
pulling, gently guiding somebody along, there's a very fine line. And I agree with Mindy that there needs to be, it needs to come from within the single rather than be like a little shove. You're not looking to kick anybody down the aisle. You're looking to just help them to get to where they need to go. But oftentimes in the beginning of a match, people are very rushed to make a decision for many reasons. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want you to waste my time or money or I'm not sure. So if I'm not sure, I guess it must be a no. This is a very common way to think. If I'm not sure if I think it's a yes and I can't figure it out, then it must be a no. And that's not the general philosophy that I tell people to hold by. I have two catchphrases that are just the beginning stages of getting things going. And one is when in doubt, go out. If you have any amount of doubt, if you're not sure, if you're saying, oh, I don't know, which is by the way, an extremely common phrase, then just go out. The way you'll gain more clarity is by seeing that human being in person interacting with you, and then you'll have more clarity. And then you won't be saying, I don't know anymore. You'll either say yes, or you'll say no. Or the other one is date them till you hate them. If I'm okay with you, if I'm neutral, if I'm like, eh, quit. I don't think you're my person, but there's nothing wrong. Okay, go again, go again, go again. If if it's not there, you'll figure it out and then you'll say no. But the hard part is getting them even on that first date. And oftentimes people say, oh, you know what? Just go for a cup of coffee. Just, I mean, what's there to lose? And my answer is there's a lot to lose. If it's not something that actually has potential to get to the chuppah, then no, thank you. I'm not going for a cup of coffee. I'm not wasting my time, my effort, my energy. I can't because if I just go out, I could just go out a hundred times, but it's not really worth my time. So if it's a matchmaker or somebody that I trust that's setting me up and I know that they have my best interest in mind and that they've tried to do the right thing, then yeah, okay, so I'll be willing to go for a cup of coffee. But don't tell me I have an idea for you. And you know what? Don't ask me any questions. Just go out. You'll figure it out. What's the big deal? It's just a cup of coffee, a half an hour. You've got time. No, I don't. I have to protect myself. I don't have time to waste time. I have time for the right people. So there's a little bit of a balance on either side. Sometimes I like to give a little nudge and say, let's just see. I don't need you to marry them, but I need you to go on on another date. And other times I need to say, no, not for you. We could say no, thank you and pass. If I might add two things to what Aliza said, Rachel Goldbaum always says, when you're going out, once you start, it's like a staircase. So you went on one day, you're at the bottom of the staircase. So you want to make people feel comfortable in terms of pushing them. You're not pushing them to, to move to the top, to run up to the top. You're only pushing them to go up one step. On the other hand, I also believe that we have to teach people to take responsibility for their own actions. No one should be pushing someone down that aisle. I can't make a decision for someone else. As parents, especially in the Jewish world, we see a lot of enmeshment. And parents are so used to taking care of their children and telling them what to do and what to wear. Don't go out without any high heels or things like that, that we forget as parents or as rebellion and teachers that we have to step back and let everyone make this decision themselves, right? They have to take responsibility for their own actions. The next question is a little more sensitive, perhaps, because daters can come, and especially if they're dating for a long amount of time and what they were looking for when they were 20 may have shifted or should have shifted if they are eight years later down the line. But they still have an idea of what they want and who they are may not match that. And this 
sort of is related to the expectation of being a certain weight or going into a certain field of working or not going into a certain field. The stigma against women becoming doctors or surgeons. Women will opt out of that kind of life so they can date. Or women struggle with, and men, but we just talked about this recently, eating disorders in anticipation of shidduchim. So there are a lot of challenges out there. And let's say you are presented with a client or a single and you see something clearly that they can grow through or work through, what is something that is, this is who they are and they don't have to change something about them versus something you would choose to coach them or try to change something about because it doesn't reflect what they are looking for in a shidduch? So this is a really difficult question because if a person's not willing or interested to grow or shift or change who they are or seeing who they are and representing who they are, then I can't help them to do it. And if they're willing to shift or to change or to present a different side, then the whole world is open to us and and we can make a shift within the world. The real problem that we have is in what you're describing, which is when my view of who I am and where I am and what I am is not in alignment with who I want. And when what I want isn't in sync with who I am, I could go after it all I want, but it's probably not going to match and it's probably not going to work. So if I am looking for somebody who learning and they're very grounded in their Yiddishkeit and and they want one of those mommies at home who's going to be there to be with the children. And I decide I want to be a doctor and I want to be working. And sometimes I'm going to have night shifts and sometimes I'm going to be on call. It's not going to be a compatible match ever. Even if that's my family and that's my background and that's what I'm used to, it's never going to work. If he's looking for a mommy at home and I'm looking to be a busy mommy who is sometimes at home and sometimes out in the world, then I'm setting myself up for failure by not looking for something that's in alignment with who I am. So as a coach, I would work with somebody to understand who are you and not that I'm under, like I might get and I might understand who they are, but to ask them to tell me their reflection of what they see of who they are and what they think matches. There's what matches you, who's looking for you, and there's who you're looking for. And the question is, are they the same person? Is who I am looking for the same person as who's looking for me? And it's not always the case. And when it doesn't align, then I say to them, great, are you open or willing to shift what you're looking for? Or are you open and willing to shift who you are to match what you want? Which way do you want to go? And I've seen both men and women make shifts. And I've seen other people say, no, I'm sticking in my box. It's what it is. I guess I'll have to desire something else. I don't know how to do that. Teach me how to do that. But I am who I am. And that's it. I'm not going to change. Are there prospects out for people who don't want to change? There are prospects for them, but they have to They can't say, I am who I am, I want what I want, and those two things don't match, but I don't care. For those people, you're going to be looking for a very long time, and you're not really going to have success. But if you say, I am who I am, I'm not changing, and then you say, hey, Eliza, hey, Mindy, what matches? Who's looking for me? Tell me the kind of guy or girl that's out there that's actually looking for me, because you understand me, you get me, you know who I am. Then I could give you a list of the types of people that are looking for you. And if for you, you're going to say, oh my gosh, that's nothing like what I want. Then I'm going to say, well, what do you want to do? They're going to say, well, I, I, want, I want something else. I want something different. 
okay, well, who are they looking for? You have to become who they're looking for and not become that person just for a moment. You actually have to be that. You have to become that type of a person because you want that type of a person. So it's really just a reality check of how, where am I flexible? Am I flexible in what I'm looking for or am I flexible in who I am and somehow get it to match? Thank you. Mindy? Uh, I agree with Aliza about being flexible. I think it's also important to just specify there are people, there are things that they are and that are, this is who they are. And it's not fair for anyone to say, oh, I'm going to take you apart and remake you like Mr. Potato Head so that you will then find someone. We have to respect people who have made certain life choices or have certain preferences. For instance, let's say someone loves animals. They just have a thing for animals. And what am I going to say to them? No, I'm sorry. All the people that I know don't like animals. So let's just give that up. That would hurt too much. If you meet a, I actually know a girl who wanted to go to med school. She met someone when she was 20. She was crazy in love with him. But he really wanted someone who was going to be home with the kids. Not even full time, but medical school was not in the picture. And she decided, you know what? I love him that much. I'm not going to med school. And wouldn't she, right after the invitations went out, she sat down with her mom and she just said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I need to go to medical school. I want to be a doctor. And sure enough, Baruch Hashem, they broke up and she went to med school and she found someone and she's happily married and she's a doctor. And that's really who she is, her essence. No one should tell someone you have to change. That's also very different than coaching people, as Aliza said, to see really who are you and who's looking for you. When a guy comes to me and he comes from a very yeshivish background, but he's not so from now. And when I say, well, what does that mean, not so from? And he says, well, I, I, would, I, I don't keep Shabbos privately. Like maybe I'll take out my phone. I don't go to shul on Shabbos. And what is he looking for? Well, he's looking for someone that's going to only wear skirts and cover her hair. So I tried to explain to him the girls that I know that want to cover their hair, they're sincerely from, they have a connection to Hashem. What do you think? Do you think they're going to go out with someone who doesn't even go to shul on Shabbos? And then he's like, yeah, I kind of hear that. Again, we can't tell people. We have to sort of show them that this may not work. So there are things that we can help people see and broaden their horizons. But there are certain things everyone has to respect that this is who someone is. It's not fair for anyone to tell someone, well, you're single a long time. So maybe you need to change ABC. That's just mean. And it's not fair. And we have to respect people for who they are and help them in that regard. So I like how we touched upon religious levels and career paths. We haven't touched upon sizes, women's sizes. I don't know if it's such a big deal with men being overweight, but what do you have to say on this topic? And if you are, you know, a size 12 or 14 are your prospects automatically class two when as a matchmaker, as a somebody who's coaching someone through this process, 
do you feel like you're automatically compromising? Are you automatically being paired with somebody who's either overweight as well? And I don't like using the word overweight, but somebody who may match them in a physical way or some other impairment, potentially parents being divorced or them being divorced as something to counteract. Like, how does that dynamic work and what can be done to improve the environment of Shadokham? Mindy? Oh, wow. When I taught a class at Stone College about relationships, I would always say to the girls, I want you to go to shul and I want you to look across the machita and I want you to look at the men that are wearing talesim and tell me three words with the letter B that start with the letter B that a lot of the men, most of the men actually have in common. And they all get it. You know what they are? Most of them have beards. Most of them are bald. And most of them have bellies. And I always say to them, I want you to know, most of the guys you're going to go out with, that's what they're going to end up looking like. They're going to end up looking like a father. Take the coolest, hottest, greatest looking guy from your high, you know, from your neighborhood during high school. This is what he's going to look like. He's going to look like someone's father. And I try and get them to understand, yes, you have to be attracted, but it's not just about attraction. There's so much more to attraction, which is, of course, the beauty of when people go to events, that they get to know people and they get to really see who someone is. It's not just, oh, what color is her hair? How long is her hair or her size? And I find that many young women today are also very particular. They are. Oh, it's not my look. It's not my look. And I'm always like, just go out and get to know him. When you're young, try it. If you've never gone out with someone like that, give it a shot. I know Elisa said, if you don't go out for that cup of coffee, if it's too hard for you. And I think that when you're a little bit older, it might be hard. But I think at the beginning, we have to try and break that. In my mind, I assumed I was going to marry someone that looked like my father or like my brother's someone who was like this size or this color hair. I have this all the time that mothers will say, I want to show you a picture of my daughters. And then you know what my son is looking for, because that's what he's used to. So I think that it's, it is hard for both men and women when it comes to looks, because we are a very visual society today. And just to tag it, to nix the pics and women being erased, So who are the women that everyone's looking at? It's the non-Jewish models that are airbrushed, that they don't really even look like that. So we're not showing real women or real men. So this is what, if you ask a girl or a guy, what do they think the opposite sex looks like? So it's a shame. It's a shame what they really think someone's supposed to look like. It's not so easy. It's It's not a short discussion. So you're saying by boys who grow up in homes where there's nothing but a me and mishpacha and they never see a picture of a woman without Photoshop, that he is disadvantaged when it comes to shidduchim and expectations of what his wife should look like, even if he has sisters and mothers at home. Yes. And it also, I think, depends on the people in the household. Look, in the more right-wing world, a lot of boys are out of the house starting high school. All those formative years where they might have seen their moms first thing in the morning wearing a a snood and no makeup, 
they're not even in the house then. They're in yeshiva. So they're not even growing up really seeing girls and women on a, on a regular basis. Thank you. Aliza. Yeah, this is a huge topic. <laughs> we did a webinar called Your Size is Not Your Dating Problem. And if you look around the world, you will notice men and women in all different shapes and sizes of bodies get married, period. Tall ones and short ones and fat ones and skinny ones and ugly ones and pretty ones. It makes no difference. If you look at, at the world and if you think, oh, but it's easier the prettier, thinner ones, the more handsome ones who are fit, they have an easier time. I will tell you as a dating coach, the answer is no, they don't. They also have a hard time. Do they get more suggestions? Maybe they do. Do they still date for sometimes two, three, five, 10, 15 years? Yes, they do. Just because you get more suggestions doesn't mean they're on target, doesn't mean they're appropriate for you, and doesn't mean that you have an easier time in dating. There's a real challenge in dating which is some people want to make the weight issue just totally disappear and be like, but, but it doesn't matter. But I'll tell you where it matters is with patterns and habits. So for example, doesn't matter if it's a guy or girl. They're overweight and they want to date somebody who is fit and trim. What's the problem? The problem is the fit and trim one probably works out, maybe has green smoothies, takes care of themselves in a physical fitness way. They're attached to that. They have all those habits around that. Maybe they're not eating fatty foods or they cut out certain things, right? They have certain habits that are never going to be compatible with somebody who maybe in a larger body enjoys food more. Maybe they're a foodie. They love it. They have a good time with it. Is there anything wrong with it? We're not making a judgment call about this. There's not a right and wrong. I'm just pointing out there's a different in be- difference in behavior and a difference in habits. And one of them is going to want to have schmaltzy chicken and nice potatoes all schmaltzed up and write this very, what I like to call brown Shabbos food, which is just yum. And the other one is thinking about green salads and little side dish- dishes that are so minuscule that there's hardly even a bite to eat. You think it's for one person and, and really it's supposed to be for the whole table. They're never going to be compatible. They're not going to have similar ways of being within the world, and it's going to be difficult for them. Does it have to do with the way that they look? Well, it might for them not be as appealing to them because they want or they're used to something else, but it just means that we're pairing up people who are different on the inside. And I gave a food issue, but it really just could be anything. It could be Exercise. Yeah, it could be exercise, but somebody also, somebody could have a medical issue and that's why they're heavy. They could eat as healthy as can be but they just have a medical condition. Do they have the potential to marry somebody that's not their weight or anything of that nature? Yes. Have you seen couples where one is heavy set and one is thin? And it's not always that the guy is the heavy set one and the girl is the thin one. Have you seen the reverse? Because it also exists in the world. It's, it's really, really a big challenge. And I think the biggest challenge for anybody who is struggling or frustrated with weight or saying like, oh, that's my problem. If only I was thinner, if only I had a better figure, then I would get better dates or I would get more dates. You might get more dates. I might agree with that, but I'm not saying you're going to get better dates. And I'm not saying you'd have a better chance at getting married. People of all sizes get married, period. It's true. Look at the world. So as much as this is an enormous issue, it's something that 
we have to have an awareness of, and we have to have a big picture thinking and looking at the world. And then we have to deal with it because the matchmakers have a really challenging time because singles will give them a hard time. Oh, you set me up with somebody like that? Is that what you think of me? Is that what I deserve? If, is that all that I, is that all that you can find for me? Or the matchmakers sometimes have a pre, an idea. I can't set them up with somebody like that because if singles have told them, I only want somebody like this, like Mindy said, we have to respect the wishes of the people that are making requests. So you have to look for people that are open, but we're not looking for a certain body type. We're looking for somebody who's going to be appealing to somebody, but who's got a good heart. I want to know that your heart inside is a good heart and a good soul and you have a mind to think and you have a personality to engage. That's what's deeply important to me. And yes, of course, there should be an amount of attraction to connect a couple, but it's a huge, huge issue. And I think on all sides, there's challenges with the coaches, with the matchmakers, with the singles, with the parents all around. It's a big thing because everybody thinks it's an easy solution. Lose weight, and then you'll get a date. But that's not the solution because thin people also have a hard time getting married. I'd like to just add two points. I have a friend of mine who has an amazing yummy daughter who's happily married, who is a larger person. And she said to me that she really spent, as she was growing up as a child, she made sure to nurture her personality. She is happy and warm and fun. And she glows wherever she is that everyone looks at her like oh she's such a great girl she's so beautiful in so many ways and she is a beautiful girl and it's almost as if it doesn't matter with her and I think that it's something we have to remember especially because there are so many eating disorders out there it's it's not just about what you look like externally it's also who you are internally. Are you a giving person? Are you chesed oriented? Are you flexible? People have to really, before they start dating, sit back and say, am I the right person? What's Who am I and what do I value? If the only thing someone values is what the person looks like, well, what's going to happen after they have a baby and, and they're a little bit heavier and they're nursing Everyone wants to feel beautiful. And if a husband is going to look at his wife and say, well, are you going to blow your hair? And this is five minutes before Shabbos and the baby just threw up on her. And she has to quickly take a shower. And this is all her husband is thinking. Are you going to blow your hair? Are you going to put on some makeup? What does that say about us as a society? So I don't think it's an issue once a couple is married and there's something beyond just the looks and attraction. I think it's the barrier. It's the environment of Shaduchim and somebody who's spending a lot of years in it. And that first impression space, whether you're trying to get approved by the mother of the boy or having a matchmaker take a second look at you. So I think being in that space of always needing that first meeting and having that first impression, that's the space that has the most feedback and uncomfortable feelings around. Just before we end, I'd love to ask you if you have a few tips or tools that anyone who is not an official shatran but would like to be setting their friends up or acquaintances up with each other, and it's just so hard to get yeses, are there any 
tips from your expertise and experience that you can share. Mindy, would you like to go? Whenever I meet someone, I always say to them, I I don't say, what are you looking for? What I always like to say is, what am I going to tell you about this person that's going to make you want to go out with them? And I phrase it specifically like that, because sometimes someone sees something on a resume and they're like, this, this just doesn't appeal to me. And you have to try and figure out what it is. So you ask the person, what are you looking to hear? And then based on what they're looking for, the person who's trying to set them up has to really listen to it and adhere to it to get that person to trust them. I I think that matters a lot. I think that, again, sometimes you hear that someone's dating and you just assume you know what's important to them and people just throw ideas, right? Try and get them to trust you. Get someone, get your friend to trust you. Show them why you think it's a good idea. That's beautiful. Thank you. Adding on to that, I think that we need to not assume that we know what somebody, who somebody is. I'll say it again. We need to not assume that we know who somebody is. We need to ask them about themselves. As much as I know you, as much as I understand about you, it's my thoughts about you, but I don't know what you think about you. I don't know what, what you want to project to the world. And if you tell me what you want to project to the world, then I'll understand you at an even deeper level. And when I go to explain to somebody else who you are, I'll have better words and better tools to be able to make that match because I'll have real true information from you, not just my opinion about you. So I love what Mindy said, which is that we have to know what they're really looking for. We have to listen, we have to pay attention, but we also have to know really who they are and how they express themselves and what they want somebody else to know about themselves. Because sometimes people have hidden little details and things. And I always like to ask somebody, what's something about you that you'd want somebody to know that really just by looking at you or even having a conversation with you, they might not understand about you. And, and they often are like, oh, I don't know. Can I think about that? That's a good one, right? Because it's something deep. It's something personal. And it's something that's usually reflective of who they are that helps you to make a better match. So the better that you know both sides and what both sides are looking for, the better that you can make a match. And always make sure to share. Don't just say, trust me, this is your person or this is somebody amazing, amazing, great, fabulous, awesome, wonderful. They're really nice words, but if you use them to describe somebody, it tells me nothing. Give me specific details, give me specific information, and then I can say, oh, wow, okay, sounds like you know them, sounds like you know me. Okay, I'm willing to give this a shot. And I think that'll give anybody who's looking to be a matchmaker a better opportunity to get a yes. I hope that a lot of people hear what we have to say and take it to heart because it is a very hard time. I think the hardest part is There's always someone who makes it look easy. Everyone knows someone who like organically met someone and six months later was married. And that happened at 20. And that person, in a sense, poisons the water for everyone else because they make it seem so easy. Instead of saying, wow, I'm like unique. Like you, Freddie, you're unique. That happened to you. That's so wonderful. I'll admit it happened to me as well. It doesn't happen to everyone and people have to respect the process. So often, I I don't know if you have this, Aliza, I have parents who like, okay, I'll give you $10,000. I'll give you $20,000. Just find my daughter her shit up. But sometimes 
she has to evolve. Sometimes it's not the right time. That's real emuna. It's very tough on people. As Shatranim, you work really hard and you get, get paid based on results or commission-based versus <laughs> salary or how many dates they went out. And I know there are many different formats here. Would you like to share what a successful model for you has been? Are you frustrated with the system? Mindy, would you like to go first? All right. So in full disclosure, I actually am a little bit more blessed than the average matchmaker. I was hired by YU Connects to work full time, which is 30 hours a week. I think that anyone that knows me knows that I am literally available. My children are not always so happy about this, but I am literally available. I'm going to say 24, six, but six and a half because Shabbos ends. But I actually like to make Shabbos early Friday morning so that I have the whole afternoon when people are want to reach out to me that they can reach out to me. So I, I do get paid a salary, which I think is a wonderful thing because this gives me a chance to work with people who it's not so easy. Some Shadchanan, because this is the only money that they make and they only make money when a couple gets engaged. So they're like, oh. He's hard, next. Oh, she's difficult, next. And they're just going to drop that person. Well, at, at Why You Connects, we feel that everyone deserves a chance. And I try and work with whoever I can. And what about before Why You Connects? So I dabbled in, Sh- in Shadokim and I was a full-time teacher. So I looked at it more as it's a beautiful thing that Hashem allows me to partner with him and whatever I get, I get even through why you connects. I am allowed to get Shadchanas. why you connects gets money and I get money. It's, it's a tip. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to show Hakara Satov. I think it's very important to show Hakara Satov, but I think it's also important that even if this is the only money that people are getting, that it doesn't break someone's bank. There are some Shadchanim that expect, such a large sum that it sort of puts some people, you know, out of that price range. And then they can't go to that person for help. When you say large sum, do you mean $10,000? Yeah, I do. I think if someone has it, it's a wonderful thing. That's how Carissa told to give it. But I think it's hard on those people who sort of feel like, what am I supposed to do? My husband's a Rebbe. I'm a teacher. I have a large family. So what if I hear there's a really great shachan for my child? My child says all their friends are using this shachan, but I'm going to have to mortgage my house. Like, And it's, it's, it's complicated because one of the biggest problems, unlike why you connect, is that I don't have, a lot of people don't have a salary. I'm not so sure it's so healthy that it works that way. Thank you. I also don't think it's healthy when there are people out there who view it as a chesed. I have to tell you, I consider it to be such an honor, such a zechut, to partner with Hashem every time I make a shidduch. I really feel like that is an amazing reward, and Hashem definitely gives me reward because of it. But when people think of it as a chesed, so then the people they're working with feel like they're a chesed case. And that's not healthy either. Aliza, would you like to chime in? So traditionally in Shadokham, the matchmaker makes a match. 
They get engaged, Mazel Tov, and the couple sends a thank you of Shadhanas Gelt. And there's kind of a standard for every community. Each one has their own thing. One of the generic loose standards has been 2000 per side. So the guy's side would give two and the girl's side would also give two. And if the Shadhan was the only one involved in the match, then they would pay directly that Shadhan. But there's really three people involved in, in a match and three people that you'd have to give this Shadhan's guilt to. One is what we call the matchmaker in fact. It's the one that sets two people up. One is the matchmaker in act, the one that helps them through the dating process. Not only always is the one who sets them up, the one who actually helps them through the process. And one is the matchmaker intact to hold the relationship intact when they go through that hurdle of like, oh, and the the relationship goes south, somebody picks them back up and helps them get on their way. So really, if you have somebody set you up, somebody else help you through it and somebody else help you when you have a hard time, you're actually supposed to divide the payment according to the effort that was made. So you would take that large sum and you would divide it between potentially two or three people. Um, the matchmaking industry in terms of being a profession is a very difficult profession to earn an income from. Even if you are a top, 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 top matchmaker, how many matches do you think they're making in a year? What I know of that the best of the best making about 25 matches a year, about two ish matches a month that are getting engaged. That's the best of the best in the industry. So everybody else, how many matches are people making in a year? Well, sometimes they're only making one or two or three or five or whatever the number is. How can you live off of that? You can't. And ask me how many hours do they spend? You unlimited day and night, 24-7 from, you know, morning till night and midnight until 2 a.m. And and texts in the middle of the day and, and everything's urgent, rush, rush, rush. So it's really a difficult process. So when I started out in Shaduchim, it was something that I was doing. It was it was a chesed because that's what I was doing. If I made a match, so I would get paid. And if not, some people also don't necessarily pay you what they, quote, should pay you. And they send you a very lovely box of chocolates and they say, thank you so much. And you say, you're welcome. Or they send you flowers for Shabbos and they don't actually pay anything. And it's, it's not an industry that is regulated financially, right? There's like the Torah wisdom about how we should handle this, but it's something that if it would be handled a little bit more professionally, I think that we might see better results because there are people that are working day and night and working so, so, so hard. And and it is their chesed to the world, but you can't pay your electricity bill with that. And you can't put food on your Shabbos table with that. And it makes it very difficult to put all of your heart and soul into something when you can't afford to take care of your family. Thank you so much, Aliza, Ben Shalom, and Mindy Eisman for joining me on this panel. If you would like to check their work out online or reach out to them directly, the contact information will be posted in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was so much fun. And as always, it was really an honor. Thank you so much for listening until the end. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure to check out the backlog. Make sure to subscribe. Feel free to send me a voice note or message through social media. All the links are in the show notes. And stay tuned for next week, an episode 
on me too. Have a great week.